Well, ladies and gentlemen, we say good evening, and this will be our final service in this series of gospel lessons, and I trust that you've been benefited by the study. I hope you have a copy of our outline for tonight. If you look on the outline, beginning toward the bottom of the first page, there are some blanks for you to fill in as we go along. We're going to have seven points in our lesson tonight, and then at the bottom of the second page... There are going to be seven questions that we'll be asking as we bring the lesson to a conclusion. One of the sisters said to me a little while ago, she said she really appreciated the outlines because she can take these home and continue to study these things. And may God bless people like that who want to learn more, who want to study and be all that God wants them to be. I'm going to talk tonight about a man in the Bible who might be a little bit like you and me. We read about this man in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, in this context, Jesus is talking about discipleship. And he uses as an illustration the language, count the cost. And what he's saying here in this context is that if you're going to be my disciple, you must count the cost. Don't get started and quit. Jesus wants you to know that it's going to cost you something to be a disciple. And here is his illustration. In verse number 28, he says, Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You know what? In every town, you see something like this. You see it in McAllen, in Edinburgh, in Beaumont, Port Arthur and Orange, southeast Texas where we live. You see a garage or maybe even a house. That someone started on, they laid the foundation, they got the basic structure up, but then they stopped after they got the insulation on the outside. Maybe they didn't even finish the roof. And now that house has been sitting there for a year, two years, five years, and starting to fall down. I say this man here may be something like us, because maybe you and I, have done the same thing. At some point in life, we had good intentions. We were going to do something. Maybe it wasn't building a tower or a garage or a house. We started something and we didn't finish it. Our lesson tonight is about the builder who began to build. And if you note in the outline there on my second point in the introduction, I simply say you've got to give this man some credit. Because at least he got started. Some of the things that I didn't finish, I never even got started. Can you imagine, though, with this man? What did his friends and neighbors say? Well, the text, Jesus says, these people who saw that he was not able to finish, they began to mock him. And they would ask him, why did you stop? What happened? You had such great intentions on building this tower. I thought surely you would finish. Well, you know what happened. This fellow failed to count the cost. He ran out of money. And with us, maybe on some things we planned to do, we ran out of money. Or maybe we ran out of conviction. 
Maybe we didn't have enough courage to finish. Maybe we ran out of time or energy or patience. I'm asking you tonight, will you be like this builder who began to build? I hope not. You know, there are a lot of examples in and out of the Bible who, uh, of people who began to build. You read about Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, where Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And the interesting thing about Demas is that in some other references in the New Testament, in the book of Philemon, and also in Colossians chapter 4, and I believe it's verse 14, there Demas is listed as a faithful co-worker. He's even mentioned in the same sentence as Luke. Demas, what happened to you? Why did you give up? Well, it's plain what happened to Demas. He loved this present world more than he loved the world to come. You can look at the Apostle Peter. What a great man Peter turns out to be. But you know the story about him in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus said, all of you are going to be offended because of me this night, and you're going to desert me. And Peter said, not me, Lord, not I. If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, look, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And the other disciples, we're hard on Peter on that. The other disciples said the same thing, that they're, we're going to be faithful to you, Lord. But you don't even get out of that chapter in Matthew chapter 26. You come to the close of the chapter and you see Peter denying the Lord. Even a little servant girl comes to him and said, you're with him. You're one of those from Galilee. You are with Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Peter, as if to make sure that they understand that he's not with Jesus. He even curses. If I was with Jesus, would I be cursing like this? No, I don't know the man. I don't know him. Peter ran out of something. Maybe he ran out of conviction. Maybe he ran out of faith. Maybe it was courage that he ran out of. Oh, there are stories all over the Bible of people who started well. King Saul stood head and shoulders above all the others in Israel. And he was a humble man. But you know what happened to him? He finished poorly. He began to build, but he failed. Even the great King Solomon, in his later years, after building altars for his foreign wives to worship these idols, he himself actually bowed down and worshiped there. Samson, a man who could have gone down in the annals of history as one of the great men of all time, though he is mentioned as a hero of faith in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. You know that Samson had a weakness, and he yielded to that weakness, it appears, time and time again. There are so many stories like that. I hope you and I are not examples of just one more story of someone who began to build and then who fell short. There are millions of people, millions across the land and around the world, multitudes of people who, who plan great things. They say, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to make my life count for something. And even members of the body of Christ, they say, this year, 2020, that's going to be my year when I read the Bible through. I've started it before, but I always quit, but not this year. 
Well, will you finish this year? I hope you will. Someone else says, you know, I, I've got a neighbor and I really want to start working on my neighbor to teach them the gospel. Maybe I can't do the home Bible study, but if I can set up a study with them, maybe Warren or maybe someone else in the congregation, maybe Darrell can study with them. But I'm going to work on my neighbor this year. Do that. You see, there are lots of people who have plans like that, but they never do. And you have to ask the question, what happened? You planned to read the Bible before. You said you were going to work on your neighbor before. What happened? And those are sad words, my friends. People plan great things but don't do. And now they can only look back at what might have been. And I will tell you what you do not want to happen. And it doesn't matter if tonight you are old like me or if you're young. You don't want to get to the end of your life and look back and say, here's what I could have done. Here's what might have been accomplished by my life. We need to look forward and see what we can yet do. Our text tonight is going to find us in the book of Philippians. We're going to ask the question, what is it that happens to us when we, like the builder, we begin to build, but we run out of something? Our Philippians text is in chapter 3 and verses 7 through 14. You see it on the slide. Turn there with me. Turn in your Bible to that text. And this is one of my favorite texts, maybe my favorite text in the epistles, certainly among Paul's writings. In this text, in this chapter, Paul talks about himself. He gives a great deal of insight into his innermost thoughts. He talks about his life before he became a Christian. And he, he talks in, in like in chapter 3, verse, in, in verse 4, he says, I might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law. I was a Pharisee, he says, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. Paul is a man with a great future in Judaism. And this is what he's talking about. He says, this is where I was. But he changed. He changed because there was something more important in his life. Paul gives us this little bit of background his little bit of heritage and talking about his upbringing and where he's come from. But he really wants us to see where he is now. And that's what he starts in verse number seven. And we're going to use this as a base for our text tonight. Beginning in verse number seven, Paul says, but what things were gained to me? He's thinking about where he was in Judaism as a Pharisee, as a teacher of the law, his conduct, all the things that he did demonstrating his devotion, at least what he thought was his devotion to God. He says, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law 
But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, says Paul, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in these eight or nine verses that we've just read, you learn a lot about the Apostle Paul. You learn what motivates this man, what drives him. And the things that drove the Apostle Paul ought to drive us. Now, what we're going to look at in the next few minutes, we're going to look at the other side of the coin. Because Paul was not a man who was a quitter. He was a man who finished, a man who pressed on. But what happens to us when we quit? Even when we drop out on the, from the Lord and, and we quit serving God, what is it that happens to us? I want us to see that in contrast to what Paul says about himself in this text. So what is it that happens to us? Well, the first point that I want to make is that we didn't really mean it. We said, oh, I'm going to do something great for God. Yes, this year I'll read the Bible through. I want to be a Bible class teacher. I'd like to become a song leader in the congregation. Some people talk, but they're not serious about anything. It's all just talk. There was an old TV show. Those of you who are my age will remember that in the early 1960s, you remember Route 66? You remember what that show was about? It was about two fellows named Buzz and Todd who drove a new Corvette. The show's worth watching just to see the Corvette, okay? I'm a car guy, okay? But th th they, they drove a new Corvette and they drove across the country from town to town having adventures, okay? That's what the show was fundamentally about. And for that time, it was a fairly decent television show. Now, at that same time, I was in the Air Force. And as it came time for my group, there were several of us who had come in at about the same time and were getting close in 1964 and 65, we're getting close to getting out. And, and we're sitting around one day saying, what are you going to do when you get out? Well, I know what I'm going to do. I've got a wife and baby at that point, and I've got to get a job. But several of the guys said, oh, yeah, what am I going to do? Well, me and a buddy... We're, we're going to buy a new Corvette and we're going to drive across the country and we're going to have adventures, just like on the TV show. That was fun to talk about. You know how many of those guys actually did that? Out of the 30 or 40 guys who were working together at that time, we were all about to get out at the same time. You know how many of those guys did that? Not a single one. They didn't really mean it, but it was kind of fun to talk about. Here's what I'm going to do. They weren't serious about it at all. I want you to look again at Philippians 3.13. I want you to be mindful that Paul, what he did in life, he was serious about it. And that's the way we've got to be. We've got to be like him. In Philippians 3.13, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, 
My life in Judaism, he said, I am reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And you look at Paul's life, and it is a constant reaching forward, doing the will of God, going to this place, teaching the word of God, going to that place, and establishing churches. This is a man who is a doer. He's more than just a talker. And if you and I are going to accomplish anything, we've got to be serious. We've got to be doers. But there's a second problem. A second reason why we may begin to build and not finish, and that is we didn't have a plan. And people who do not plan are people who do not do. You remember Alice in Wonderland? She's walking around in Wonderland and having interaction with all these characters. And she comes across the Chesser cat. And she says to the cat, would you please tell me which way to go? And the cat said, that depends on where you want to go. And Alice said, I don't much care where. And the cat said, then it doesn't matter which way you go. My friends, we cannot be like that. We've got to have direction. We've got to have something that we want to achieve, and then we've got to have a plan in order to get there. You've got to care which way you're going in life. Don't just stumble through life for 20, 30, 40, 70 years and accomplish nothing. We've got a destination. We've got a place where we want to go, but we have been given a plan by God, and we've got to work that plan. We have direction in our lives. Again, looking at what Paul says in verse number 14 of our text, he says, I press toward the goal. You see the word goal there? Paul says, I've got a goal. And when you've got a goal, then you work a plan to get there. And if our goal is to be with God in heaven, then we've got to follow God's plan. And anything that's in the way of God's plan, what have we got to do? We've got to take a loss on that. If something is in the way of God's plan, we've got to be like Paul. We have to take a loss. Hang on to that word loss because we're going to come back to it in just a moment. But Paul says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is a man who has direction. He has a plan. And he's following the plan because he knows where he is going. Do you know where you're going in life? And it's not just going to heaven. If you're going to read the Bible through this year, what's your plan? If you're going to become a, a Bible class teacher, what's your plan? If that's your goal, you've got to have a plan. And, and the third one, what is it that happens to us when we don't finish? Well, we, like the builder in the story in Luke chapter 14, we did not count the cost. You see, the man who was building the tower didn't count the cost. He ran out of money. Now, there are some folks who plan to do things, and they're just like this guy. They run out of money, or maybe they run out of conviction. There are people who have been baptized into Christ, and they seem to be filled with zeal. But after a while, they lose that zeal. And I'm not sure how that happens. I, I remember hearing a story that an old preacher told me one time, about a man in a congregation who was called on to lead in the public prayer in the assembly on Sunday morning. And this man got up and he prayed for the church, he prayed for the sick, then he started to pray a personal prayer for himself. And he said, Lord, fill me with your power. Lord, fill me with your zeal. And an old deacon under his breath said, don't do it, Lord. 
he leaks. And there's a lot, that's right, there's a lot of people like that. They start off with zeal, but it leaks. They start off with enthusiasm. They've got determination, but they let it leak out. And maybe it's because they did not count the cost. They were enthusiastic until they saw that there are hard days ahead for disciples. They were filled with zeal until they were called upon to do some work that was really going to challenge them. And so work for God was left undone. I told you to remember that word loss. Look again at our text in chapter 3 of Philippians and verse number 7. I want you to see the word loss here. And maybe if you mark in your Bible, you might just underline the word loss. Here's what he says. In verse 7 he says, What things were gained to me. He's talking about his heritage in Judaism. He said, These things were gained to me, but these I have counted loss for Christ. Jesus was more important than these things that he had in his past. There's the word loss. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss. There's the word he uses at a second time. Why? I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Three times. He says, I count all these things as loss. Here's a man who counts the cost. And he's willing to take a loss in things that do not matter. How about you? Will you take a loss in things that don't matter? In things that are not going to help you get to heaven? Are you willing to give up some of those things? Oh, well, Brother Dawson, the Lord can't expect me to give up things I really love. What do you mean? Jesus gave up the glories of heaven to come to this world. He gave that up. Being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient unto God, even unto death, even the death of the cross. And you say, Jesus can't expect you to give up something? Being a Christian will cost you something, my friend. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to be willing to take a loss in things that do not matter. Sometimes what happened, what happened to us, is we had a plan, all right, but we delayed the plan. We put it off until later. Well, not this year, but next year I'll try that. Next year I'll start working on that. Next year is here, my friend. People get satisfaction. They really do in saying, someday I'll. Someday I'll really get serious about serving God. Someday, I'll decide that I'm going to start being at all the services of the church. I'm not going to be hit and miss anymore. Someday, I'll do all that. It makes us feel better because we have good intentions. And let me just say, my friends, good intentions don't count. They don't count in life. Successful people develop a habit... It's called the do-it-now habit. If something is critically important and you ought to be doing it, then get after it. Do it now. Again, looking at Paul in verse number 13 of our text once more, he said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. That is, I haven't reached the mountaintop yet. I haven't gained all that I want to gain. But he said, this one thing I do. Paul is a doer. If he's anything all, he is a doer. That we need to be like Paul and develop that do-it-now habit. 
If we don't, then we just keep putting it off, delaying what we ought to be doing, and work for God, once again, is going to be left undone. Or maybe, maybe we said, yes, I'm going to be a doer, but then we somehow got sidetracked. And how many things in life sidetrack us? It happens all the time. Maybe it's a, a crisp fall morning. Well, you don't have very many crisp fall mornings here in the valley. But maybe it's on a Saturday morning, and maybe you're a UT fan, or maybe you root for Texas A&M, and you get out there and you're going to paint your garage today, and you get start, you go all the way down one side, and boy, the garage is looking good. You start halfway across the back, and your wife hollers at you from the back door. She says, hey, Jim's on the phone for you. And so you go in and you talk to Jim, and Jim says, did you see that? See what? A returner from A&M just ran back the, off the opening kickoff. Oh, the game doesn't start till 3 this afternoon. No, the game started at 11. We're already six minutes into the game. And you think, man, I can't miss this game. And so you sit down and watch the game and, okay, halftime, if the team is two or three touchdowns ahead, I'll get out there and I'll finish that garage. But your wife brings you lunch during the second quarter and then you fall asleep during halftime. What happened? You didn't get your garage painted because you got sidetracked. How many people would make it to heaven if they just didn't get sidetracked along the way? Oh, they started off well. They, they heard the gospel. They believed in Jesus, faith, repentance, and baptism. They, they submitted themselves unto Jesus and they were determined. But then someone got them interested in maybe going camping. And now they're going camping every other weekend. And they try to make it back if they can for evening service. But much of the time they don't. And after a while, they're not at evening services at all. And on the Sundays at their home, maybe they're only making it to the morning services. And their good intentions about being faithful to God. Well, what happened? They got sidetracked. Was it football? Maybe it was camping. Maybe it was some other hobby. How many people would have made it to heaven if they had not got sidetracked along the way? I would venture to say that there are enough people within 10 miles of this building who used to be Christians, who used to be faithful, who got sidetracked, and if they were to all come back, you wouldn't have room to seat them. I will tell you at Dallin Road, right now, we've got, on Sunday morning, we've got about 300 empty seats because we can seat about almost 650. We have attendance of about, of about 350. So we've got about 300 empty seats on Sunday morning, a building that is only a little over half full. If all the people in the past 42 years that I've been there would suddenly come back, we wouldn't have room enough to seat all of them. But they got sidetracked somehow along the way. And they were not faithful to God. Again, looking at Paul in, Paul in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14, I know where Paul's going. Paul's going to heaven. And he's not going to let anything sidetrack him. Look at the language that he uses. In fact, start in verse number 12. He says, not that I've already attained or have already perfected, but I press on. 
What does that mean? What does that mean when he says, I press on? Paul was a man of dogged determination who was not going to let anything get between him and doing his work, wasn't going to let anything get between him and going to heaven. Dogged determination, I press on. It, it, it's like running a marathon. I, I ran the Houston Marathon a couple times back in the 1980s. You may have seen me on, uh, on ESPN. I, I finished right behind those little old ladies in the wheelchair. To finish a marathon, it doesn't matter that your lungs ache, that your calves and thighs are throbbing. You press on. You keep putting one foot in front of another until you make 26 miles, 385 yards. And it's hard. And sometimes it hurts really bad. But you do not give yourself the option to quit. And as a Christian, you must not give yourself the option of dropping out, getting sidetracked, or anything like that. We're in this thing to finish. And so Paul says in verse 12, Not that I've already attained... Or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And he says it again in verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Someday we're going to come to that finish line. And when I ran my first marathon, it was just hard to believe. I see the finish line ahead. And yes, I was incredibly slow, but I finished. And you think, here it is, the finish line I'm about to cross. And I thought, when I, when I crossed the finish line, I thought, how much is this like our race as Christians? Someday we're going to come to that finish line. Either when the Lord comes back or when we die, but that's the finish line. And as I crossed that finish line, with my body aching, my feet hurting, there was joy within me that I had made it all the way without quitting, without giving up. You know, there were some guys, some guys, my son and I were standing around before the race began, and the way the Houston Marathon works is you start in downtown Houston, and you run out to 610, and you come back, and that's 13 miles. And you do that loop twice, that's your 26 miles, and then a little bit more. But there were some guys there, I remember one man saying, you know, I'm a little... I'm feeling a little off today. If I am tired and don't feel good at the halfway point, I may just run half and drop out. And you know what guys did? Those who gave themselves the option to drop out at 13 miles, you know what they did? They dropped out. If you give yourself the option to quit as a Christian at some point, that's probably what you'll do. You need to make up your mind right now that you're going to press on to the goal until you reach the finish line that you are not going to allow yourself to quit. Someone says, can we really do that? Absolutely. You can make up your mind that you will press on all the way to the, to the end, to the finish. That's what Paul did. But I guess I've already exposed my next point, haven't, haven't I? Sometimes we give up because we got discouraged. We just quit. 
Maybe, maybe someone quits because of self-doubt. They just don't think they can succeed as a Christian. Well, they're wrong. They can. Or, or maybe someone else threw cold water on their plans. Maybe, maybe they said, you know, I really want to be a song leader. I, I need to work with some men like Brother Howard or with like Brother Herb. Maybe they can help me. And someone says, you be a song leader? Are you kidding? You can never be a song leader. You'll never amount to anything as a Christian. And there's some people, they're sensitive to stuff like that. I remember when I first decided I was going to preach. Brother L.A. Stouffer encouraged me. Mike Willis, Harry Lewis, those were my three mentors. There was a brother. He never said it to me, but he told me later. A brother from the East Side Church in Indianapolis. He said, when you started preaching, I told everyone in this congregation, that kid will never make it. He will never make it. He told me that in a gospel meeting about 10 years ago. And the brother came to me with tears in his eyes. And he said, I am so sorry I ever said anything like that about you. And it was all he could do to get those words out. But if I had heard that, maybe I would have gotten discouraged. And when the going got tough as a preacher, maybe I would have quit. Maybe I would have given up. Paul didn't give up. We've seen it twice. What did he say? I press. I press on. I press toward the goal of, of the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what you can do too. Finally, what happens to us when we quit? Maybe we were afraid to try. Fear is a great immobilizer. That man in Matthew chapter 25, remember the one talent man? He said to his master, he said, I was afraid. I, I took what you gave me and I hid it in the ground. Here, take it back. My friends, I learned a long time ago that you're better off to try something great and fail than to not try. Don't be afraid to try. In Philippians chapter 3, again, in verses... 10 and 11, Paul talks about that I may know him, that is Christ, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, that by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul knew that his life was going to be one where he had to suffer and maybe even die for the cause of God, but he didn't let those fears deter him from doing God's work. Oh, there's so much more we can say about these things. Well, folks, I will tell you, maybe one of these things, maybe more than one, has impacted you. But I've got good news tonight. It's not too late. It's not too late to make changes in your life. As long as you've got the spark of life in your mind and you've got the breath in your body, it's not too late to make some changes. There are some folks who buy into this philosophy that says, well, it's too late for me. I, I, it's too late for me to study. It's too late for me to try to encourage my neighbor. No, it's not. You're created, you know, someone says, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Listen, you're created in God's image. There is no creature on earth that has more potential than you have. And you're not a dog. 
and you can learn some new things, even if you're in your 70s or in your 80s. Someone says nobody ever accomplishes anything when they're in their 70s or 80s. Moses became the leader of God's people when he was 80 years old. Noah built an ark when he was 600 years old. Colonel Sanders never fried a chicken leg till he was in his 80s. You don't know what you could accomplish. John wrote three or four or five books of the New Testament after he turned 80 years of age. Sometimes we just say, well, I'm too old to accomplish anything. You know, there's a story about a farmer and his wife who went to bed one night and the clock in the hall struck 13 times. The farmer jumped out of bed and said, get up, honey. It's later than it's ever been. It's, it's late in your life. It's late in my life. But we don't know how much life we've got ahead of us. Maybe I've got five more years. Maybe I've got 10. Maybe I've got 15 or more. And the fact that we're getting older doesn't mean we can't accomplish something at this point in our lives. Great things have been accomplished by older folks. Don't let it happen to you where you come to the end of your life and you've not accomplished anything for God. So what are you going to do with your life, with whatever you've got left? It's not too late. There's a list on the back page, on the back side of your outline, that asks you some questions. Whether you're young or old, I want you to answer these questions. You can be a Christian, even today. If you're not a Christian, you can become a Christian this very night. The question is, will you? You can check the box. If you're not a Christian, you can check the box, and you can check the yes box. If you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, you've heard the gospel time and again. Why not turn from sins and confess Christ tonight? And Warren will baptize you into Christ this very hour. You can do that, my friend. You really, you really can. You can be a Christian. You can grow in faith and knowledge. Remember, we closed this morning our service with growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus and thereby give glory to God. You can grow in faith. You can grow in knowledge even if you're 90 years old. You can still grow. The question is, will you? And I hope you'll mark that yes box. You can be an effective Bible reader. That is, Get started on reading your Bible on a daily basis right now. Before you go to bed tonight, start a Bible reading program. You can do that, no matter how old you are. The question is, will you? You can teach someone the gospel. And maybe you can't do the home Bible study yourself, but if your neighbor is open to a study, Warren will study with them, and you help. Or Daryl will study with them, and you help. And so you can be engaged in Bible teaching. The question is, will you? You can be a servant to God. And you can up your game. You can up your service. And you can come into this building. Every time you walk in this building, remember you walk in with an apron, not a bib. You want to see how you can serve others rather than how you can be served. The question is, will you? You can get out of your comfort zone. Someone says, ooh, you're asking me to invite someone to service or something like that. That's hard for me to do. Well, it's time we got out of our comfort zone and stopped just doing what was easy and we started doing hard things. We are Christians. We do hard things. And so we need to get out of that comfort zone. The question is, will you? 
and you can go to heaven. You really can. Listen, you've been hearing the gospel this weekend. You've heard the gospel numerous times. You really can go to heaven. You know, everybody's talking about heaven. Someone dies, oh yeah, he's gone to a better place. But I'm talking about the real thing. I'm talking about you really going to heaven. The question is, will you? You have to make up your mind that you're going to do that. In eternity, there's going to be a story that's told. It's going to be told about you as a builder. It's going to say, this builder began to build. How does the story end? And the kind of choices that you're making right now in life will determine how that story ends. I hope your life is one that is giving glory to God by doing the things that the Apostle Paul talked about in this text. That you press on, you press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are you ready to obey the gospel tonight? If there's someone here tonight that hasn't yet obeyed Jesus Christ in faith, repentance, and baptism, this is your time, your place, right here, January 26, in the evening, here in McAllen, Texas. You can be baptized into Christ tonight. If you've not done that, what are you waiting for? Come now, while we stand and sing. Come now, please.